Welcome to Worldview from WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. It's almost Thanksgiving, the most foodie American holiday. This week, we're getting in the mood by featuring some great global food. Our series with the Chicago Sun-Times is called Hungry for Home, where we explore food from Chicago's ethnic communities. Today, we talk with the Filipino community about where they shop and dine. WBEZ's Monica Eng takes us to Seafood City in a moment. But first, let's talk about some of the news from the Philippines. Xi Jinping just became the first Chinese leader in 13 years to visit the Philippines. Philippines President Rodrigo Duterte has revived his country's relationship with China with lots of ideas about loans, military aid, and joint exploration of the controversial South China Sea. The U.S. has responded to the courting of its longtime ally and former colony with a visit from Secretary of Defense James Mattis last month. Then on Monday, the U.S. responded to Xi's visit with a run of B-52 bombers over the disputed South China Sea area. With me to talk about the Philippines is Love Jordan. She's vice chair of Anakbayan Chicago. It's an organization of Filipino youth and students in the U.S. and the Philippines. Anakbayan Chicago works closely with the Chicago Committee for Human Rights in the Philippines. Thanks a lot for being here, Love Jordan. Thanks for having me, Jerome. Uh, when you read the news about the United States and uh, the Philippines and China and this rivalry now that Duterte wants to have an alliance with all these different groups, mm-hmm. what do you think? How does that read to you? So on the one hand, you have the issue in the Spratly Islands uh, that's infringing on Philippine sovereignty. And that it's interesting. In 2016, the Philippines won a big court case, a land of the sea case, and, and it said basically China should get out and – uh, it seems like Duterte doesn't – and China doesn't care and just says we're going to do whatever we want. And Duterte is like, all right, let's do a joint venture. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So Duterte hasn't been standing up for Philippine sovereignty and is in fact receiving billions in Chinese loans to fund his infrastructure programs. But while that's happening, these tensions with China, we believe, don't necessarily justify U.S. presence um, or further U.S. involvement in the Philippines. Uh, we know that human rights abuses increase around military bases, especially the ones that U.S. troops dock. We know that U.S. military aid in the Philippines is being used by Duterte in state-sponsored killings. Uh, we've got over 20,000 people killed in the drug war. We've got 34 lawyers that have been killed uh, under his administration, 11 mayors, senators being jailed, uh, chief justices being ousted. So there's a rising dictatorship in the Philippines, really. I think that's clear. But neither China nor the U.S. is doing anything to condemn that. So who's really benefiting from either relationship? It's not the Filipino people. I think most people probably don't know much about U.S. military aid to the Philippines right now. Mm -hmm. It obviously has been a long-term military ally in the region. But this is – the U.S. I think gives about $60 million a year. And it's something where the the United States thinks it's uh, doing this to fight the war on terror. Mm -hmm. And there's a big partnership there. Uh, How does does that sound to you these days? Regarding the war on terror, I mean, with the siege of Marawi, the decimation of Marawi City, hundreds of thousands, I think 400,000 people have been forcibly displaced by that. And they're still living in evacuation camps all over the country with up to 10 families in one room. And there have been 300,000 victims of indiscriminate gunfire and aerial bombing, all in the justification for this war on terror 
But like what's happening with those people? They're saying that they're protecting the country from extremists, but that that justification has been used in the killing of uh, youth in the Sulu region of the Philippines. Seven youth were killed just, I think, in October. And the reason was, oh, we thought they were ISIS. So that's what U.S. military is going to, to displacing people, to terrorizing people's communities. Um, Meanwhile, people still haven't been able to go back to Marawi. That city is still just, it's almost like ground zero. You know, it seems like the U.S. is pretty concerned about its relationship with the Philippines. Mm -hmm. Uh, General Mattis was there uh, just a month before uh, Xi Jinping came, and he was shoring up the the relationship. Mm -hmm. And uh, Duterte is apparently trying to play these two off on each other. I don't know. Is that, that that's something that is working for him? That's something where he's getting more aid from everybody. Mm. So, yeah, it seems to be working for Rodrigo Duterte, and it also I think seems to be working for China and the U.S. You know, as the worsening economic and military tensions between China and the U.S. occur, we see countries like the Philippines being used as both a tool and a target for both superpowers. And who benefits but the ruling elite in the Philippines? Meanwhile, the Filipino people are being killed, are being plunged further in debt with the price of basic goods doubling or even tripling in certain cases. So with with either case, with the U.S. or China, are the Filipino people benefiting? No. How does um, it work with different generations of Filipinos in the U.S.? Uh, I know that it seems like young people are more progressive and maybe older people, do they support Duterte more? Is there a strong contingent that says, yeah, we've got to you know, clean things up in the Philippines and we need a strong guy in there and that's a good thing? Like the, the ratings for Duterte in the Philippines are – have been terrific. They're down a bit now, but um, they, I imagine that's, same, that's the same in the diaspora. Uh, well, I think there is, there's certainly some support. Uh, I can't deny that among older folks, but there are a lot of older folks who um, are seeing what's happening, uh, who are seeing the, the tyranny of his administration be exposed. There are organizations such as Migrante, Migrante USA, just launched in September. Uh, that's an organization of migrant workers, uh, usually older folks, who are also seeing what's happening in the Philippines and calling to attention um, not only the increasing repression and the worsening economic situation in the Philippines, but the negligence of the Philippine government to the situation of migrant workers and those in diaspora. How do you place what's happening today into a historical context in the Philippines? I was reading up on the Philippines before this interview, and I noticed that Amelda Marcos was recently convicted of fraudulent activity, a, a, a prosecution that's taken decades, really. And she got some pretty heavy prison time initially here. And then she kind of blew it off and she went to a party yeah. with Duterte's daughter and several other former leaders of the Philippines. Joseph Estrada was there, all these other mm-hmm. people. Uh, there seems to be a kind of perpetual uh, impunity within the ruling elite. And I don't know, you know people might say the same in this country, but the, the, it's, uh, in the Philippines, it's really stark. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, people compare Duterte to Marcos in terms of the human rights situation. But when he ran, he ran as an anti-Philippine establishment politician. He ran as a populist. So now it's he's really being exposed right now 
and how he colludes with establishment Philippine politicians like Emilda Marcos, like Joseph Estrada, who um, there was a movement to oust him as well in the late 90s yep. with uh, known crooked politicians like Gloria Macapagal-Arroyo, who was known during her time as having the worst record for journalists being killed in the Philippines. So while he ran being anti-establishment and saying that he'll, in a similar way to Trump, like sort of um, drain the swamp, he's in fact has just been colluding with the ruling elite and the Filipino people have still suffered under it. Why doesn't democracy in the Philippines produce viable alternatives? Mm. I would say government corruption. A lot of the politicians in the Philippines are hacienda owners, are plantation owners, business owners who control industries like the news media in the Philippines. Uh, so when you have those people in such high positions and their families have been dynasties in Philippine politics, that's where their interests are, to maintaining their industries, to maintaining their businesses, instead of helping the most marginalized parts of Philippine society. I'm talking with Love Chorton, and she is vice chair of Anakbayan Chicago. It's an organization of Filipino youth and students in the Philippines, and she also works closely with the Chicago Committee for Human Rights in the Philippines. And coming up later in the program, we're going to have Monica Ang in our Hungry for Home series, and we'll be talking about different places where you can shop for Filipino food and go to Filipino restaurants. Uh, I wanted to talk some about um, the local scene and community and, and the things you're doing here. It sounds like Anikbay in Chicago is affiliated with about eight or nine other chapters in the United States. Can you describe what, what you guys are and what you're doing? Yeah, so Anikbay in um, Chicago is one of maybe, I think, 12 or 13 chapters here in the U.S. And what we're doing is we're fighting for genuine liberation of the Philippines and to call attention to the escalating humanitarian crisis. We're also part of an even broader network within the U.S. called the Malaya Movement. Malaya means freedom in Tagalog. Uh, and Anakbayan is a member organization of, of that. And the intention of the Malaya Movement is to not only broaden support for the movement against killings and dictatorship, but also to broaden support for the cause of peace and freedom in the Philippines. Are you optimistic about uh, the future? Do you think that there is um, enough solidarity out there to get change? Oh, yes, definitely, definitely. Um, the, the movement in the Philippines, I think, is expanding, is growing um, to call uh, to an end to these killings, to, to say stop the killings. Um, and the movement in the U.S., I think, is growing uh, with, with media looking at the Philippines more and, and segments like these that provide us an opportunity um, and a platform to say that this is happening and, and that we condemn it. Um, and we've also been working with other organizations um, such as Chicago Borica Resistance, um, such as Fearless Undocumented Alliance at UIC, um, and building solidarity between our different organizations. Explain what's been happening there because it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, so um, I'm, a, I'm the vice chair of Anakbay in Chicago. We work very closely with an organization called the Chicago Committee for Human Rights in the Philippines. And the Chicago Committee for Human Rights in the Philippines uh, recently sent two of their members to Mexico City, to attend a conference uh, for the International Migrants Alliance. And while they were in Mexico City, they were able to integrate and really fundraise and provide direct resources to uh, migrant refugees who are fleeing Central America. 
So what's happening actually today is a report back from those people who went to Mexico City who saw um, what's being called a migrant caravan, who saw for themselves these migrants, and they're sharing their firsthand accounts uh, of what's going on in Mexico City right before they left for Tijuana. So that's interesting that there's a fearless, undocumented alliance going on, and there's um, pushback on, on this issue. You're working with uh, all sorts of different organizations and, and pushing back there. Yeah, yeah. We believe firmly that uh, we should all be working together and that all these different struggles are, are connected. I wanted to ask a question about food and culture and acceptance. Um, it's interesting that Filipino food has kind of gotten hot and people are really interested in Filipino food and even, even the fast food outlets that open. But do, do you have a favorite uh, Filipino places that uh, you'd suggest people to go eat at? Here in Chicago? Yeah. Um, a new place opened up not so far from my neighborhood. I live in Uptown. I think it's in Ravenswood called Bayanco. It's a Filipino-Cuban fusion place. Another place that I, I like to take my parents, uh, and they've put their rubber stamp of approval on it, is a breakfast place called Uncle Mike's. I think it's closer to the UIC area. <laughs> What's the best dish there? I usually get the Ticino and Longanisa combo. It reminds me a lot of home. And you get this little cup of, it's called Jumperado. Um, and I think that's a drink in Mexico, but in the Philippines, it's sort of like a chocolate porridge. Um, and you get a little cup with every dish you get, uh, and it just it reminds me of, of something my dad would always make growing up. Love Jordan is vice chair of Anak Bayan Chicago. It's an organization of Filipino youth and students in the United States and in the Philippines. Thanks for joining us and talking about politics and what's going on with the Philippines. Cool. Thank you so much, Jerome. After the break, we'll get a tour of one of the grocery stores our local Filipino community frequents. It's Seafood City. Our Hungry for Home series is a collaboration with the Chicago Sun-Times. I'm Jerome McDonald, and you're listening to Worldview on WBEZ. This is Worldview on WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. This week we're launching a series in collaboration with the Chicago Sun-Times called Hungry for Home. It's where we explore Chicago's ethnic communities through the food they eat and the grocery stores where they shop. Our third installment profiles Chicago's Filipino community. WBEZ's Monica Ang visited Seafood City off the Eden's Expressway in Chicago to show us how to shop there. Her tour guides were Filipino Kitchen co-founders Sarah Lynn Pablo and Natalia Rojas. Okay, ladies, we're sitting here in the middle of an incredible produce section with all sorts of stuff that I don't even know about. And then on the other side of us, you hear that kind of cleaver sound. We have three restaurants, four if you count Jollibee. We have... Crispy Town that has a bunch of fried food like Lumpyang Shanghai. They have um, Daing Nabongos, fried chicken, crispy pata, and then. Which is fried pig's feet? Yes. 
which is amazing. Um, and then we have Noodle Street. So we have like um, staple soups from the Philippines and also dim sum. So anywhere from like a beef wonton noodle to a, we have bulalo, which is a bone marrow soup. Um, and then we have uh, Grill City that has like grilled fish, grilled pork, gr- anything that you could slap on a grill. But it's um, very specific for it to be um, a Filipino barbecue style or inihao. So that would be the word for grilling. And this last place over here? It's Jollibee, the most well-known food brand of the Philippines, outside of the Philippines. They offer burgers and fries, but they also have rice. And one of our favorite things to eat there is the chicken joy. So it's fried chicken and Filipino spaghetti, which is a much sweeter tomato-based sauce. And uh, it's got like this really orangey cheese on top <laughs> and like this the sweet and the salty go so well together and just so we didn't end up shopping on an empty stomach i figured we should stop and try a chicken joy and it was exactly as Sarah described okay now that we've got our bellies full of fried chicken and sweet spaghetti let's hit the store you guys have come up with about a baker's dozen of things that people should try when they come to a filipino grocery store indeed I asked them to lead me through their list, but I kept getting distracted by these cool items I just had to ask about, like the big red cellophane-wrapped things that looked like kettlebells. This is what you call <laughs> queso de bola, or literally, it's just like Edom cheese. So there was like a really, really brief stint of the Dutch coming to the Philippines, and this is what they brought. Next, I saw a pomelo, grapefruit-like thing as big as your head. I mean, Filipinos love sour things. So like grapefruit, pomelo, calamansi. Which is? Hybrid of a kumquat and a mandarin orange. In the produce section, we also saw these bouquets of stems with teardrop-shaped leaves. This is the bouquet of malungai leaves or moringa. I have heard this is a superfood. Yes, it is a superfood, but it has been a staple in our diets because of all the healing properties. It's part of like a dish called tinola, which is like ginger, garlic, chicken soup. We use it for tea and you can steep it and put it in your wounds and it will heal you. (laughs) And how do you know if you've chosen a good bouquet? Can't see any wilting. There's not a lot of moisture on the inside. This is something you should try to use quickly if you get it fresh. The cheaper version will be a frozen variety, which is $1.49 for like like a 16-ounce package. Then it was on to a bunch of colorful pre-packaged assorted vegetables. The vegetable packets are very interesting to have just because if you are really in the beginner stages or you just didn't know how to cut the vegetables for a specific dish, this comes pre-packed and like already pre-selected for the dish that you're going to go make. So far, they have two of them here, two varieties. One is sinigang, which is our sour soup, and then pinakbit. Pinakbit, so you have the eggplant, the okra, bitter melon, the squash, and then the green beans, or sitao, the long beans. Because um, then all you need is the protein, and then... Uh, Bagoong, or shrimp paste, and a, like a little bit of ground pork. But you can also make it vegan by eliminating those and um, interjecting different umami flavors to it. And that's one of the things that the falsehood of Filipino food is the impression that it's always brown and fried. Next, we see a special refrigerated section with a whole bunch of white and red eggs. The red one is just basically, it classifies what is balut and what is the salted egg. 
Balut, by the way, is a fertilized duck or chicken egg. So if that's not what you want, don't buy the eggs labeled Balut. Okay, I'm saying banana flowers. Yeah, they look like little worms. What would you do with this packet of dried banana you cook flowers? Cook it in coconut egg. milk to oh. make basically like you know um, coconut milk braised banana flowers. So it could be a vegan dish. And this also goes in kare kare too, like oxtail. So a uh, kare kare is a, a soup that's peanutty and it's a soup. oxtail soup. Yep. Right yeah. Kare. Speaking of kare kare, we see a kare kare packet that's k-a-r-e exactly and so this is a wall of a lot of that if you are just you know wanting to toss something like together really quickly and just add protein this is what you do wow so many great spice packets which one to try let's go with uh with a bare minimum of like having a tamarind soup mix to basically buy your vegetables from the synagogue packages that we like from the produce and then you buy your protein you drop this mamacita's synagogue sasampalok seasoning mix or tamarind soup base and then you just wait until your vegetables are like tender and so as your protein is cooked and voila you have a meal Okay, so we're in this noodle aisle, and I see at least eight different brand names for pancit noodles. For a beginner <laughs> stage, I would always go with a pancit bihon. It can be vegetarian or it can be omnivorous. That you can have it with shrimp, chicken, or pork. You know, it's not as intimidating as the pancit luglug, where you would have to make your own sauce. Even if you don't know much about Filipino food, you might know about those crispy cigar-shaped egg rolls called lumpia. Here, we found a whole bunch in the freezer section. Made with either chicken, shrimp, or pork, or all of the above in one roll. Uh, And you take these home and fry them or bake them? Fry. Fry. I don't ever bake them. Okay, here we are in an aisle with bottles and bottles of what? Vinegar! In Filipino cuisine, each vinegar has a specific role, but also each one of them are versatile for each of those roles. What do I buy for the first time? Coconut vinegar. Looks like a distilled white vinegar, but it's a little bit more muddier. But this is one of the most versatile things, so I would just go straight with a coconut vinegar, whether it's for your adobo, for a dipping sauce, for literally anything. Grilled meats or fried meats, just dip it in and see how that changes the flavor. You're listening to WBEZ's Worldview, and this week we're exploring Chicago's international grocery markets in a series called Hungry for Home. Today we're touring Seafood City on the northwest side with Sarah Lynn Pablo and Natalia Rojas. Later, we'll be talking Filipino restaurants with Juanita Salvador. You can check out all the Hungry for Home stories at wbez.org worldview. All right, so now we are in an aisle that is what? Bagoong, fermented shrimp paste, or sometimes it's shrimp, sometimes it's anchovies. How do we use them, and how do we know a good one? Once again, sparingly. <laughs> um, it packs like so much flavor. Mix it already with a sauce and gives you that umami saltiness. Um, you can use it as a condiment as well with fried food, or it's amazing with green mango. You slather like a really thin layer on top of it, so you have your umami saltiness and then you have like tart and sour it's a flavor bomb there's also a way that you can just like um do fried rice with just like a little dollop of it and now that gives you another dimension to your 
plain old jasmine rice. <laughs> so a lot of cultures, including ancient Roman culture, used basically fermented fish guts to deepen the flavor of their food. And you call your fish sauce patisse. Tell me about it. So it's a byproduct of bagaong. It's funky, it's umami. When you put it in a dish, it's like, mm, what's that? It gives it that element. Okay, and how do you choose a good one? We go with Rufina. It's super old school. And there are only a few left. Every every other patisse, there are plenty of them, but the Rufina, you've got like six <laughs> left on the whole show. all the way back there. <laughs> okay, talk to me about jackfruit. So it can be both a sweet and a savory. So the sweet, you can put it in turon, which is fried brown sugar and banana wrapped in a lumpia wrapper with the jackfruit. I love that version of it. So next is also the young green jackfruit. So this is also a great meat substitute. We did an event recently where we had um, adobo three ways. One of the ways we did it is with young green jackfruit and uh, coconut milk. So it's a wonderful thing if you want to include your vegan and vegetarian friends in your Filipino uh, dinner spread and try the green jackfruit. So here we are in the produce section with the fresh jackfruits. How would you treat them differently? Um, So once you bring it home and you cut into it, then what you'll need to do is cover your hands in oil, like any kind of canola oil or whatever. That's because there's very sticky sap that is inside. And, um, you know, you can smell like jackfruit for a couple of days. That's fine. But, you know, if you don't want that, then put the oil on it so you can easily wash it off. How do you choose a good fresh one? Smell. Smell. So basically the sweeter it is, the better. So I'm seeing this bread that's called ensaimada. What's that? Ensaimada is a Portuguese brioche bread. But it is um, also Filipino through the ways of Spanish colonization. And Sabado was used to sort out Muslims out because they're made with lard originally, the recipe. So, like, they would know, they would assume that you're Muslim in the Philippines way back when, during when the Spanish were, like, kind of weeding out who's who. At the same time, it is a treat. It is a brioche with, like, a generous heaping of butter on top and sometimes there's cheese like once again our orangey cheese on top (laughs) sometimes it has like macapuno or like young coconut strips on top sometimes they are made of ube which is the purple yam which is like highly popular in the last two years because it's purple I've heard that uh, Filipino cuisine has some pretty amazing ice cream flavors Yeah, so our ice creams are, you know, just bringing the flavor of our different fruits and desserts in an ice cream form. For example, creamy halo-halo. Halo-halo is a multi-layered parfait with shaved ice, evaporated milk, fruit, gelatins, custard, coconut, and more. And then we also have the queso real. And yes, that is a processed cheese ice cream flavor. Cheese is like something that can be desserty too. And it's really good. There's corn ice cream too. Oh my God. Like if you're on a road trip in Luzon and you see a corn vendor, pull over and buy the boiled corn. Then there's this deep purple one. What's that? Oh, that is the famous ube. Okay, so ladies, what's with the red hot dogs? You know, remnants of American occupation once again, and it's made mostly with, like, pork and chicken, I believe, but it just has that little bit of saltier. It's not as plain as an American hot dog. How would you eat the red hot dogs? Make it redder with ketchup. 
eat it with rice actually with garlic fried rice and it's the best thing in the whole entire world at certain like kids parties like one popular snack is to on a skewer put um, a bit of the hot dog and alternate with tutti fruity marshmallows okay again specific okay so this sounds like a health food on a stick (laughs) okay ladies we know that the philippines is surrounded by water and here we're in the meat aisle and there's a lot of meat but there's also a lot of fresh fish on ice today you're telling us about a very popular filipino fish tagalog is bangus um, or milkfish it's a very bony fish yeah but obviously, like any other fish, you you know, you look at the eye, you see how, how does it look, how does it smell. Are the eyes clear? Are the eyes clear, exactly. Here they also offer cleaning services, you know, cutting it up as well. They can fry it for you here. Cleaning and frying free. That's a common thing in uh, Filipino grocery stores. You'll see at Unimart, too, which is a long-time Filipino grocery store here in the city, they offer the same things there, too. They also, like, do sell, um, they do sell, like, boneless um, but it's another preparation called dying. So dying means it's like it's butterflied, it's marinated, and typically in the Philippines it's dried out. And then you fry, refry it, and it's amazing once again with garlic fried rice. So we've got a processed cheese case. Processed cheese meaning um, something like Velveeta but more amazing than Velveeta. Uh, there's a couple of like Filipino brands. We have Keso. Yes, this can be really problematic with like a representation of a Mexican person here, but it's real good. There's the QBB, Che Vitale, Velveeta, Cheesy, Cheddar, Eden, holy moly. Yes, and all of these are Filipino brands. Quick Melt. Wow. Yes. So basically, these are the things that you shred on top of your spaghetti. It's a luxury item, basically. Not everybody can afford it, nor not everybody can eat it. Just beyond the cash registers, there are two bakeries where the ladies say we have to try two things. The first is from Valerio's, and it's called a cheese ball. So the cheese ball, basically, it's like um, it's a sweeter bread outside, and then inside of it has, once again, our favorite orangey <laughs> cheese and a little bit of cream cheese on top. And basically, once again, it's like that salty-sweet combination. So you, you pop it in the microwave for like 10 seconds, and it creates magic. The next is at the Red Ribbon, which specializes in one treat called mamon. So there are these small chiffon cakes. I like mocha, but they come in all different flavors. Um, Butter, cheesy, ube, of course. And they're just little pillows of goodness. Thank you so much for showing me around and showing me how to navigate this enormous Filipino grocery store. You you. are very welcome and like thank you for letting us like give you 50 million tangents (laughs) as we go down the aisles. Salamat po. That was WBEZ's Monica Eng with Sarah Lynn Pablo and Natalia Rojas at Seafood City on the north side for our Hungry for Home series. We wrote up their tour of Seafood City, including how to sort through the whole aisle of spice packets. Go to wbez.org worldview and check it out and get more information about what's going on at Seafood City. 
We teamed up with the Chicago Sun-Times on this series. Our next guest, Juanita Salvador Burris, posted her favorite recipe for pancit on the website there, and you can find that at chicago.suntimes.com. Coming up after the break, we'll learn how to order and eat at a Filipino restaurant. I'm Jerome McDonald, and you're listening to Worldview on WBEZ. This is Worldview on WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. Let's continue our series, Hungry for Home, in collaboration with the Chicago Sun-Times. Before the break, we heard about Seafood Cities, one of the places where the Filipino-American community shops with WBEZ's Monica Eng. That sounded like way too much fun, Monica. So fun. Those ladies are great. I would recommend shopping with them anytime. Yeah, I'm going to go there even without them. It was so much fun. You can listen in your earbuds. Now, uh, we're going to talk about restaurants and where the Filipino community eats and some of the ways that they eat in this town with Juanita Salvador Burris is in the studio with us. Juanita's an old friend of the program. She's been helping us with our segments about the Philippines for years. Great to see you, Juanita. Good to talk about food this time instead of human rights. (laughs) Yeah, we did did a little human rights at the top. (laughs) At the top. Um, where Where do people go to try Filipino food around town? Where would you recommend Okay, for breakfast, I think we should start with Uncle Mike's place. And Love Jordan mentioned that. She she said even her parents yeah. like it earlier in the program. Yeah, it covers generations. It's a very, very popular place, and it's probably been there for generations. And what would you eat for breakfast? For breakfast, um, I would suggest definitely garlic fried rice. Mm. And we make that at home too with the old rice of the night before. We make our own garlic fried rice. And then you should have a little fried fish. It could be milk fish, marinated milk fish. That would bangos. Yeah, that would be nice. But in the Philippines, the poor people only eat the little tangingi or tuyo that is sold in the market. And, you know, that's it. Mm. Little fish and water and rice, yeah. Then, if you want it a little bit with different influence, you'll have Spanish influence like champurado, which is the porridge with chocolate. I mean, that's really upscale if you have chocolate, right? Yeah. <laughs> champurado, and then you'll have nice milk. Um, I suppose uh, an egg and longanisa. Which is a sausage. A sausage. Uh, tocino is is the pork. You know, it's 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 going to be like what social class you grew up in that you'll have for breakfast. That's what you order. So the breakfast menu is like some kind of class distinction thing. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Um, what about for? Oh, and then the American influence comes in because it might be a buffet, and it will have fruit salad. Fruit salad. Okay. Like a fruit cocktailish type thing, or it's probably coming from the can. Or if it's fresh, you'll have papaya, you'll have watermelon. Nice. Yeah. Is spam for, forbidden for breakfast? I've you know, seen spam salog for breakfast. That's what they used to give the Peace Corps volunteers when they come visit the folks in the province. They serve them spam. 
And the Peace Corps people are like, we didn't come here for that. <laughs> well, that's part of the American influence on the island. And, and as the ladies were just saying at Seafood City, that they brought marshmallows and processed cheese and Spam and hot dogs. Is, are, do people resent that becoming part of Filipino cuisine? Or is it just a part of the cuisine? It's, it's just now worked in and accepted. I think it is accepted. American influence is very accepted. But I think it's really a problem of how you have access to food that is probably 10 times what you can buy at the Filipino market, right? So very expensive. Yeah, it's so uh, expensive. Yeah, yeah the With a dollar, yeah. dollar currency exchange. What are some of the other places around town? I, I, you, know, you mentioned a place that's close to me where I live in Mount Prospect, uh, E&O, Earth and Ocean, which doesn't advertise itself as a Filipino restaurant. It's a it's a high-end, uh, trendy restaurant that has a bunch of dishes that are straight-up uh, Filipino It's a beautiful dishes. restaurant with uh, glass and uh, nicely designed, yeah. We went there once to celebrate a Japanese-American friend's birthday. So we just started with soup, and then we got full so we didn't want to order any more, and then the bill was already $60. <laughs> so our friend said, I think that's enough. Let's just go have ice cream somewhere. <laughs> but e is really um, a modern type of restaurant, unlike what you – if you go to uh, three, uh, two hours on Irving Park Road, that's a Filipino restaurant oh. across um, the park in California. You know, it's like – just a little aisle here, and then there's a long table, and then you go to the buffet, and you just point which one you want to eat, and then it's given to you. That's the more typical. But Earth, Earth and Ocean, we went there for a, uh, a fundraiser for Gawad Kalinga, and they had what is now a trend of eating in restaurants, which is called kamayan. Kamay is hand. So you eat with your hands. Off of there banana no, leaves. Yeah, just banana leaves in a long table. Nice. And it has this semblance really of we're feasting. We're feasting because the food is just abundant, right? The waiters come and they put everything, shrimp, crab, barbecue, uh, lumpia, fried fish, fried fish eggs, um, rice, and not, not too many vegetables it seems, you know. But some of us, we were raising money for poor people in the Philippines, and we were here <laughs> enjoying this rich food that we couldn't finish. So when it was all over, we all were given brown bags, so we take it home. Because, you know, it was, the money was supposed to go for yeah, the poor. And you sure don't want to waste. So it seems like there are more and more Filipino restaurants out in the suburbs. Uh, one near Jerome, also Mora Asian Kitchen uh, in um, in Oak, Oak Park, Park. Park, Village Creamery in Niles. Um, almost in the suburbs is Pampanga, which has been there forever, right over Caldwell. near Devon and Caldwell. And you mentioned that people from Pampanga, you, you always know that they're going to be good cooks. That's the reputation of the people in that region. I don't know if their palate is unusual genetically from the other Filipinos, but they are such good cooks. And every time fiesta is a town fiesta is a traditional way to go around the country. Let's go to Pampanga. There's fiesta in this town, Guagua or something. And people will like uh, get on a road trip, yeah? Pampanga is really such 
such tasty food. You mentioned buffets. So what would someone order if someone's new to Filipino food, food and they see this buffet? What are some things a beginner should order or pick up, like chicken adobo? Yeah. You know, they will have uh, sinigang, which is a sour soup, uh, and they probably would put either pork or fish and some vegetables. And we have a recipe for that on the Sun-Times okay. now. And it's kind of like Vietnamese pho, except it's sour, mm-hmm. right? With okay. tamarind. Then it would have uh, vegetables like pinak bit. Mm-hmm. It had eggplant and bitter melon and squash. And that's Ilocano dish. That's the northern region. Ah. So in a sense, in a buffet, you'll find the array of different regional foods. There will be adobo. There will be crispy pata. There will be Fried pig's feet. Roast, roast lechon, chopped up, crispy. What about that noodle dish? Pancit. That's your recipe that's on the Sun-Times website. Yeah, and, and pancit is really the kind of food you will make. If you have a birthday in your house, you always give celebratory dishes to your neighbors. Oh, that's why say, Steve Bynum keeps getting pancit in Skokie. <laughs> he is, he's surrounded by Filipinos. But my mother used to do that. It's my brother's birthday. It's my father's birthday. My mother, And then she cooks a big wok of pancit, give this to neighbor left, neighbor right, down the street there. And everybody knows that it's somebody's birthday. What and is, everybody what, celebrates. What is it? What is pancit? It's noodles. glass noodles sometimes. It's wheat noodles other times. And stir-fried with vegetables and meat, right? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's delicious, and it's great for a beginner. And then lumpia are those, like, cigar-shaped fried egg rolls. <laughs> but what about if someone says, okay, I don't want the beginner dishes. I want something more adventurous. What would be, like, next-level Filipino food? I know there's a certain blood soup. I don't think it's in the ladder of taste. (laughs) (laughs) Dinuguan. Dinuguan Dinuguan is what you use with everything else that's left of the cow, right? So the organs, the blood. Yeah, but that's just done because you use everything for food, right? So that comes with uh, fiesta. You you serve Dinuguan because that's extra from the other food that you serve. The, The ladies mentioned kare kare. Tell me about that soup. Okay. Um, I think what is um, got peanuts. What is pata? Um, Pata's feet, pig's feet. Kare kare is pig's feet. Okay, but they will take the section that has a lot of meat as well. Okay, and it's cooked in a peanut sauce. Wow, it sounds... it's a peanut sauce. So you just like that. And... We're talking with Juanita Salvador Burris in our Hungry for Home series, a collaboration with the Chicago Sun-Times. Monica Ng is here with me from WBEZ. She's been taking us on tours of the various places around town where you can get fantastic food from our ethnic communities. And we're talking about restaurants and uh, kind of recommendations on how and what to eat. I was interested in dessert. You know, I was over at Mitsua, the Japanese plaza, the other day, and I wanted to get an ice cream cone because I like, you know, I like all of them. I like the red bean. I like the black sesame. I like the green tea. I like I, I want them all. So I came back to the table with three ice cream cones, and, and everybody was like, who are those for? I, like, I don't know. I just wanted to eat them all. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go to the Village Creamery in Niles, what kind of ice cream oh, cones can you awesome. get? Oh, it's awesome. We have avocado flavor, mango, langka, which is jackfruit, cheese jackfruit ice cream. Jackfruit ice cream. Cheese ice cream, jackfruit ice cream. cream. And avocado. I mean, it's like, and ube. And makapuno is that 
tender young coconut. It's not like dry coconut already. It's really tender. Ooh, that sounds good. Oh, the real the real dish is halo halo. Tell us about that. Oh, that's what we grow. So after school every day, you just want to go to the neighborhood sari sari store that serves you these convenience halo-halo. stores. Yeah. Yeah. In the bottom of a tall glass would be the sweetened beans, mm-hmm. garbanzos, black beans, ah, uh, sweet, a sweetened banana. It's a very cheap kind of meal, right? And you just put that all there. And in a then, parfait glass. In a yeah. tall glass. Yeah. And then... Um, shaved ice. Shaved ice. And that's really packed. And then they just put um, evaporated milk at the top and a long spoon. That's it. That's your after-school snack. Yeah, That sounds delicious. And you mix it all together and you have like ice and sweet milk and sweet beans. You and get your protein. healthy. Yeah, yeah, you can tell your mom you're getting some protein there. That's right. And, and it's a... Sari Sari store kind of uh, business where uh, a mother wants to make a little extra money. She'll just put out the table, right? And make some hollow hollow right there. Yeah. You know, I noticed when I went to Seafood City in October, in early October, they were playing Christmas carols everywhere. They had the bibinka, which are these uh, special pastries just for Christmas out Filipinos really like to celebrate Christmas early, and I was very intrigued by this bibinka, this this uh, cake baked in a banana leaf. Can you tell me about that? You know, I don't know the recipe on how to make the bibinka, but I'm sure I'll go to the Vulcan. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's a batter with flour and eggs and milk. I don't know what kind of sugar they put into it. But you just eat it around Christmas? Yes, because there's something about... You know, Simbangabi is nine nights of very early morning mass, four o'clock in the morning, that people do for, it's like a novena. So at four o'clock in the morning, you get up, get dressed, and that's not normal waking time, and you go to church for that nine days before Christmas. So when that is over, we all sit down at these little shops, and we have bibinka and coffee. Nice. Yeah. So you need Make you need that ambiance of warm baba- bibinka after five in the morning. It's there's no sun yet, right? Now tell us something about um, remittances. There's a history of remittances. Uh, and they send the balak bayan boxes back home. Oh. What did they used to send, and what do they send these days? <laughs> I don't know who invented balikbayan boxes, but they're standard-sized boxes, right? So at Christmas time, uh, the custom is really at Christmas time you give gifts. So if you're going to the Philippines for Christmas, you want to be laden with beets. So we give these gifts. If we don't go, we just send the box. I have a friend who used to send cereal, Cheerios, and Krispies. This bag, the big. Well, it doesn't weigh a lot. That's got got that going know, for but it. It's so, it's like colonizing. It's like <laughs> why are you sending American cereal to the Philippines when they have champurado, right? You know. But it'll be rare. It'll be yeah. different. Prestige. Status. 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 Yeah. Cheerio right. status. But also, Balikbayan box can contain toys, clothes, uh, chocolates. I suppose any. Anytime you go to Costco, you just fill up everything in your Balik Bayan box. And I think they're getting expensive to send, but it could be around 65 to $75 a box. 
to send uh-huh. to the Philippines. And it will take more than 30 days to get there. So that's why it starts in September, right? <laughs> <laughs> Christmas starts in September. Yeah, but Christmas is also nice because it's there are a few times when it's cold in the Philippines. Most of the time it's just nice and breezy. But at Christmas time, we love to wear our sweaters. <laughs> We can wear our sweaters. We think we're in America. <laughs> so cool cool weather invites us to wear some U.S.-made clothes, I guess. Is there anything you can't get here that you like to get when you're in the Philippines? Food-wise? Yeah. Because it seems like you can get almost anything here now that you need. Well, there are... There are restaurants that you really value the flavor from when you were still a child. There's a restaurant that was a chain when you were still small called Aristocrat. Ooh, status. And, and their pancit luglog. Like a seafood pancit. Yeah, and the luglog means that you chop up all the heads of the shrimp. Oh. And then you put water and juice that thing out. And that's the flavor of the sauce that goes into the luglog. So a shrimp had juice. Yeah, it's very tasty. It's thick, you know. So that's the kind of thing I don't think we can get here. So that's what I long for when I go home is to have pancit luglog or pancit malabon. Well, Juanita Salvador Burris, it's been great having you and talking about food with you for a change. And uh, we'll see you soon and talk to you soon. Next time we'll have a food court. Yes. Yeah. And you can look for Juanita's uh, uh, recipe for pancit at the Chicago Sun-Times website. And you can go for more information about WBEZ's collaboration with the Chicago Sun-Times, Hungry for Home. Go online at wbez.org slash worldview, and you can see all about Monica's trip to Seafood City and all the rest here. So check it out, wbez.org slash worldview. Special thanks to Michael Lansu and Paula Friedrich for editing our digital stories and Carol Fowler at the Chicago Sun-Times. WBEZ is produced by Steve Bynum and Julian Haida. Thanks to Viviana Garcia-Blanco for production assistance and Mike Gilmore for engineering. I'm Jerome McDonald. You've been listening to Worldview on WBEZ. WBEZ.